Hello and welcome to a seriously good podcast. I am your host, Casey Evans. You may know me from Twitter, you may know me from Manchester United, but you should also know that I'm very interested in Italian football, and that is what this podcast is about. And joining me for this journey, and also just alongside me the whole way, will be Danny Corcoran. How are you today, Danny? I'm very good, thank you, Casey. Spot on pronunciation of the surname, which is uncommon for most people. That is the quarter Scottish in me, helping out. But yeah, um, no, very excited to be doing this. I mean, obviously, I've got the couch on my Twitter handle for those that know me. So yeah, excited to finally be talking about this on a podcast for once instead of Scotland or Liverpool where you might know me. Yeah, I feel like you you, you put Calcio on there very early, and then I've, and then I hardly ever see you on anything to do with Syria by your actual own writing, which he does some great writing. But yeah, so this is a new podcast. We're going to be focusing on the Syria on current Italian football, and we may also go back and do sort of like a retro re- rewind and look at past Syria and like other stuff, events and players and teams. But that's going to be in the future. At the moment, we're going to focus on the current day because that's a great place to start a podcast. So in general, we're going to use this episode as kind of like our starting point, our launching off point, and we're just going to look at the season so far. Because, yeah, you would have thought we would have started the podcast at the start of the season when the Serie A started. But no, we decided to do it in February. So we're just going to start by talking about the top of the table, because good place to start. Um, obviously, there's four real teams. Really, we should actually say there's only one team, and that's who we're going to start talking about, and that is Napoli. Now, Napoli have been excellent this season. On 62 points, they are absolutely flying at the top of the table. They're 15 points clear of Inter Milan in second. How how good have Napoli been this season, Danny? I mean, they've arguably been the most fun team in Europe. Maybe not quite the best, although they have been getting shouts of potential underdogs for Champions League winners, which is crazy to think about. If you think about it, there's not been a Serie A team on it since Inter in 2011. You, they don't really go deep in the competition. But yeah, Napoli have just taken the league by storm. They've taken European football by storm. I mean, they topped a tough Champions League group. Like you said, they're 15 points ahead. Um, they probably have the second hottest young striker in Europe behind Haaland, although I know, I know you probably prefer awesome men. And then they have Kvart Skelia, who I'm going to have to, have to learn how to say that name actually correct if we're doing this. My Scottish accent doesn't lead to doing hard pronunciations and then they have players like Kim Min Jae who they signed for Fenerbahce who've just been outstanding at the back and then you've got guys like Labotka who've been there for a while but they've just taken a step up this season I mean they were very good last season up until a point where Austin got injured and they just didn't have the sort of depth to kind of sustain it and Milan obviously ended up winning the league this year they do have that depth they've brought in Simeone who's been fantastic as a backup striker I mean he was insanely good last season at, at Hellas Verona, but he was kind of overperforming his XG quite a lot. But now he just kind of comes in when he's needed. He scored crucial goals against Rangers in the Champions League and several of them in this area. So, yeah, everything's just clicked for Spalletti. Yeah, I, I, at the start, I was saying when we were like organising this and we were, gonna, we were talking through about what we were going to actually talk about, I was going to put in, oh, who's your young player who's your player of the season. But I was like, it's just going to be a Napoli player. They've just been that good. And obviously, like, 
Karisteria. I'm going to put in his pronunciation of his name. I'm probably just going to find him saying it and just put it in as like a little audio clip. You can call me Kvara, but my name is Khvicha Kvaratschelia. But he's been excellent. Came in from Ruben Kazan. Everyone thought always a bit of exciting talent, but no one really thought he'd have the impact that he's had. He's got 12 goals and 14 assists in all competitions. And Victor Osimhen. I mean, obviously, I'm a United fan. He's getting linked with United quite a lot. So I have a little bit more investment in terms of I really like him and I really would like him. I think he's been a perfect in the box poacher, but I think he's also shown like he can create stuff himself. That's been one of the, I think the biggest leaps in his game this season in terms of how he has just, there's just times where he gets on the ball and I'm just like, I think it was the game against Liverpool in the Champions League. I was like, no one is stopping him. Like he's just relentless. And I think obviously that has led to his injuries in the past. A lot of his injuries are impacts injuries. Like, that's one of the big things where everyone goes, oh, he's injury prone. It's like, no, he's just an idiot who sticks his head into challenges that he shouldn't go for. Obviously, the people that you mentioned, like Lobotka, who's been there for a while, and he's kind of become really consistent. I think Politano has done, like, a really underrated shout on the right wing. Obviously, like, Osimhen and um, Caradona get the shouts, but Politano's really solid on that right wing. And uh, Di Lorenzo, as well, at right back, I think, has been an excellent, excellent player this season. I think that kind of leads into the difference with Napoli this season is the transfers they've made. They've added depth to their squad. They've made their squad a lot more well-rounded, a lot more injury-resistant, so to speak. And Kim and Jay, I think he's been absolute tour de force uh, playing off the back. And obviously he's been linked away already, but I think he'll probably stay at Napoli for a long time and be great. I think obviously the uh, the confirmed owner Zambo Anguissa, and I think... Raspadori as well was an excellent signing. I think he was one that I didn't expect them to get, but them getting him and having him as a depth option alongside, as you said, uh, Giovanni Simeone, I think he's been really good. And I just thought, who's your, who's been the standout transfer for you, do you think? I mean, there is the obvious one in, in Kvartskaya where he has just added this whole like unknown quantity. I think I tweeted that not too long ago. It was nice to see that, like, in a world where there's so much like data footage on like the most obscure leagues, he seems to have just kind of shocked everyone, and he has that sort of unpredictability where fullbacks don't know how to defend them yet. There was that slight period just after the World Cup where he was he kind of dropped off a little bit, and there was the whole oh have, have teams got enough footage? Are they figuring out how to defend them? And then in the recent weeks, he's just kind of gone off again. I mean his goal. Was it this week or last week against the Swallow where he just kind of dribbled, he stopped the ball dead and slotted it in. Like it's, he's unpredictable. But I think Kim and Jay probably a huge, huge thing for Napoli. They had the best defender in Serie A for years with Koulibaly and Kim and Jay stepped in from Fenerbahce and just the way he can bring the ball out from defence helps Napoli a lot. It's got a long range passing. There's a lot of variation in how Napoli can play. I don't think they're kind of boxed into one corner so they have awesome hen who they can hit and they can avoid the press and they can go long or they can build the ball up by Kim Minji kind of dribbling out and passing it out to Lobotka who's sort of like this heartbeat of the team who evades any pressure he gets put under. So I think Kim Minji's helped them in build up and he's just been an incredible defender. So I think I would pick him. I think we, we talk about the players but there's got to be props to Spalletti as well. I think Spalletti's done an excellent job. It's how posing they look all over the pitch they have that sort of quality that i think you would probably attribute to liverpool like a few years ago where it was like you don't want to lose the ball to them because they will just go up the pitch and absolutely ruin you for doing it 
And I think that's the sort of fear that he's kind of helped this team impose on other teams. And it'll be great to see him win a, a title finally. I think he's he's been the nearly man for so long in terms of he's just been dipping in and out of Italian football and he's been in these great teams and then he's just been like, oh, yeah, not really worked out here. I'm going to have to go somewhere else. And I think it's finally sort of clicking for him at Napoli. So I think he just deserves a lot of props as well. And now we're going to we're gonna move on <laughs> from, from, from praise to what the hell is going on. <laughs> we'll start with Inter Milan. Now, Inter Milan is such a weird team because I, you watch them and you don't understand how they win. It's like the fact that they have 47 points is shocking to me. Because I, I watch them and I'm like, who scores the goals here and who defends? Just watching them and you're just kind of like, this doesn't seem to work. I think the goals have been the biggest problem for them this season. I think obviously they, they loaned in Lukaku. He's not really had the same effect that he did during his first spell. Um, Lautaro Martinez has come back into form recently, but before the World Cup was kind of in this weird, in this weird like void where he was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to score. I kind of am in this weird point in my career, and that kind of continued into the World Cup. And Jeco looks like the years have caught with him fast and quite strongly. <laughs> He went from being this kind of really good link-up striker that he'd been at Roma for years, and now he's just kind of looks very, very old. His mobility's gone, and he's kind of not really getting into the same position that he used to. So, I just, I just don't know where Inter go from here because it looks like it's going to have to restart. Inter is a weird one, I think. Inzaghi kind of has a very hard job where the owners kind of sell his best assets again and again. And then sign these younger guys like Arslani, who have some experience, but they're not really... They sold Hakimi and brought in Dumfries, who is completely different to Hakimi. I know Dumfries gets a lot of goals and things. I don't know how highly I rate him as, an, as a footballer. He's very different to Hakimi and things like that. I think the biggest thing for Inter this season is Brozovic's game time's dropped off. He's old now, and it was always going to happen, but the protection he gave... That three-man defence, the way he allowed Bastoni to just saunter, swagger up the pitch at times, really helped how Inter played. So I think without him there, without him being that first midfielder receiving the ball and turning like Laboc has done for Napoli, has completely changed the way that Inter play. I think also with Lataro, he's always very streaky and strange and... It's hard to gauge how good a footballer he actually is because there will be times where he looks like the best striker in the league and there will be times where he looked like the most frustrating person you could watch. I think like the first few games of the World Cup with Argentina kind of sum up the worst of Latoro. Like Everyone was like, this guy could not score to save his life. And then he's come back from the World Cup and, and he can't miss. Like... That's the sort of guy he is, so it's hard to gauge. And then, obviously, so many of Inter's team are older. Uh, Jekyll, like you said, is not... He's never relied on pace, and he's he's been very good up until this season, and then now he's looked like he's dropping off. It's, you need to expect it at some point. They tried to do that by bringing in Lukaku. I think Inter are... They've got so many good things about the squad and the team, but they've also got a lot of old guys that you're like you need to replace them and it's quite a lot and I don't know if their owners are the best owners to kind of see enter through that I think they kind of hamstring them a little bit yeah I, th I think they're obviously going to have to replace Brozovic they've got Dzeko looks like he's going to have to be replaced they want to sell Dumfries because he's kind of their biggest money making asset I think they've lost Skriniar on a, on a free to PSG now but yeah it's a weird one 
And I, I think obviously you said that Brozovic's protection on the defence is kind of he's not there anymore to help them out and I think that's kind of shown they've conceded 27 goals this season they only conceded 32 in the entirety of last season so like like we're halfway through or just over halfway through and they're nearly over that total so it's obviously got worse but then we we go to the the other side of Milan and in my notes I have it <laughs> written down just as AC Milan what is purely cooking <laughs> I, I look at the squads and I get there's injuries, but I look at the benches that he's been putting out recently. Like the starting 11s look weird, but when you look at what's available to him on the bench, like Yassin Adli cannot get a game. And I remember um, I watched a pre-season, uh, mid-season friendly, and it was AC Milan versus Liverpool, and he played in it. And I was like, he's really good. Like he looks really sharp. He's really good. He's really breaking the lines. He's kind of what AC Milan have been missing this season. And yeah. He's not been playing, and CDK has just kind of not really hit the ground running. And Liao just kind of is in this weird state where he wants to leave. And you just kind of look at it and you're like, what? I don't think Pioli is going to last there because I don't think he he doesn't really have the backing of the squad and the squad doesn't really... He's not really sure what to do with this current squad at all. And obviously they've dropped back there on 44 points. They're basically out of this title race unless Napoli completely collapse. In terms of who gets second place, they're kind of fighting it out. And I don't think they're looking that good in terms of they could easily drop further down. Because Roma, who we're going to talk about, have caught up with them. Injuries have really affected their season. I mean, but at the same time, Milan's whole thing was that they were very risky in the transfer market. And this time it hasn't paid off like it has in the past. Like... If you look at guys like Kalulu and Tamori, they were low value and high risk, and they paid off. But now you've they've gone for for guys like the Kitalai, who they don't really understand how to use him, and he's obviously not helped himself either and not adapted. They went with Arigi on a free. I love Arigi more more than anyone, but he was always this very strange player. He's, you can't rely on him week in week out, and I agree. Pioli's not. Even though it's a difficult situation, Pioli's not managed it well. His lineups have been strange. He's left Leao out the team quite a few times, even though he's definitely their best player. You look at a situation like Liverpool go through a lot of have been through a lot of adversity this season, but you never felt like Klopp didn't have the backing of the squad or couldn't kind of see them through it or at least try and see them through it whereas Pioli it feels a bit different it just feels flat and it, it doesn't feel like he might be that guy that gets them through it although saying that they did change how they played against Tottenham in the Champions League and they won 1-0 I don't know how they'll do in London but he does seem to have made a change and it worked so we'll see how that goes from now but like you said there are teams behind them and teams that have beat them recently like Lazio that are hunting them down what I will say is I don't think missing out in the Champions League is massive for Milan just because I think they do have a young squad. And although they do, I think they need to start thinking about life after Giroud. Oh, what the main thing as well is I think the drop-off between Mike Magnon and Tataransu, or however you say their backup goalkeeper's name, is humongous. He has some games where he keeps them in it, but other games it looks... Like, he he just isn't for that level. And Magnon was by far and away the best goalkeeper in Serie A when he was playing. And he is very good with the ball at his feet. Whereas 
whereas the backup is not. So it affects the whole way the team builds up, the team attacks. So I think his injury issues have been massive for Milan this season. He's back now, so I think that that might be a big push. But yeah, it's kind of the drop-off that you had with uh, Handanovic uh, last season to Radu and that one game where Radu just threw it into his own net and it was like, what was going on? Round out of the top four, they're technically actually third now, but I thought the Milan jump was probably the, the best way to go about it is Roma. I just don't know how they've ended up in this situation. I think, obviously, like I said, the struggles of the two above them have kind of done. They've been playing well. Mourinho's obviously quite happy with how they've been playing. I just don't understand Mourinho's way of going about it because it seems like he's just made the squad worse, but they've got better. And I think it's the sort of the old Mourinho thing where it's like he picks the guys who are very much his style of football. So... Yeah, they're happy that they've done well this season. They're happy that the the ball is kind of paying off a bit. They're just kind of doing all right. And they're just kind of chugging along. And I think they might end up going above at Milan if they don't seem to... Or stay above Milan if they don't seem to figure out their problems. I think this this Roma team on the Roma situation is just extremely Mourinho. But Roma fans and the club have kind of been deprived of a lot of success where they, so they've just bought into whatever Mourinho's going to do because he's already delivered a European trophy okay it was the conference league but I mean that was huge for the club and um, where he's completely isolated Zaniolo from the team and kind of called him out in public and sold him to Galatasaray even though nine ten months ago he was the guy scoring in the final I mean, he publicly went after Karsdorp after, I think it was the Sassuolo game, to the point where Karsdorp went back to the Netherlands for a, f- a few weeks, and now they seem to have made up. I think the best thing he's probably done is attract Dybala to the club. I think he's a huge reason why they're kind of sitting where they are. I mean, he was Serie A MVP two seasons ago, three seasons ago, but when, I think, Juve won the league with Sarri, or the season just after that. He's had his injury issues and obviously Juventus went all in Vlavic and, and left Dybala behind, but Dybala's just provided so much to this this Roma team. And I think Roma have made some interesting moves with the recruitment. I mean, Solbach and scored the winner. But it does seem like the players that, that are in the team kind of have bought into this whole Mourinho thing. And I don't know... Roma is a strange one. I don't know what the expectation or the end goal of, of this project is. But if they get into the Champions League this season, then I think that is that is very good for the club. And I think that they'd be able to attract some names because I think Mourinho still does hold some weight in football. It's the Mourinho siege mentality thing. It's like you buy in and he'll raise you up to higher than your level sort of thing. And that's kind of what he, what he did in the past. It kind of fell off a bit when he was at, at the end of the United spell and then at Tottenham. And he kind of seemingly has got back to it at Roma. But the problem is, is that Along the way, some people will just get cut for no reason, or what doesn't seem like much of a reason uh, from the outside, whether on the inside it's different. I think one of the reasons that Roma are where they are, though, is because of Juventus. And I don't think you can talk about Serie A season without talking about Juventus. They were obviously on this incredible unbeaten run. I say incredible in air quotes because, by God, it was boring to watch. The Allegri style of football is all this, has all these problems and I think they were just kind of like grinding out these wins and just getting where they needed to be and it just it just wasn't enjoyable to watch but it was doing what it needed to do. And then obviously the, the, big, the big news hit. I'm just going to read it out now off the official report. Juventus were handing a 15-point deduction in Serie A for alleged financial irregularities 
And then also because of that, Tottenham transfer chief Fabio Paratici, probably doing the 50 cent, why me, what did I do sort of thing, was handed a 13 month ban from Italian football for involvement in Juventus's alleged false accounting. So they, they obviously, they dropped out of the top four, they dropped way down the table. The players came out, a lot of the players like Benucci, Locatelli, all these players came out, posted, and they kind of adopted like the siege mentality we said before. But, yeah. My girlfriend is a Juventus fan, her whole family are, so I've got a bit of a, like, perspective on... Your home life depends on your answer right now. I think they feel hard done by, and also there's a lot come out since where the prosecutor has made some very anti-Juventus stuff in his past, and I think there's an appeal going on with it, But so we'll see. But I don't know how that will affect this season, because if we get to a point where Juve get those 15 points back on appeal, and they knock a Roma out of the top four or a Milan out of the top four then that feels like it might be a legal hellscape that Serie A has found itself in before but shouldn't uh, because the league isn't run the best or by the brightest people I don't think you say. On the pitch Allegri has this way of getting results but making Juventus fans as miserable as possible in doing so. I, I mean I watch them nearly every week and it is not good but Juventus have way more talented guys kicking around than, than most of the league. I think Di Maria is probably the guy right now that's just... He's 37, 36, I, I'm not sure, but he is just head and shoulders above. They have Lavic, who I've had doubts about in the past, but he does go on scoring streaks and he, he does find the back of the net. And then they have Chiesa, who's, who's sort of coming back. So it's hard to judge where... Juventus are because of this 15 point deduction they were second when this happened and they were still very far off Napoli and Napoli had beat them 4-1 or 5-1 I can't remember what it finished so they were obviously very far behind that and they do need a rebuild but the last time they tried to kind of switch what Juventus were was when they brought Sarri in and that didn't work it just was stale they tried it with Pirlo who I know quite a few people are a fan of but that also kind of didn't feel right either. And then they went back to Allegri and it's... It, it, the football is miserable, but he does get them results. I don't know who they'd bring in if, if he left. But it does feel like something needs to change. Yeah, I think the, most, the choice that I saw the most when Allegri was kind of in that dip before the unbeaten run was deserving, but obviously he's now going to Brighton. So if Juventus came calling, you don't know whether he'd go from Brighton. But still, I think at the moment you could say he's he's spoken for. Yeah, but I think I'll I'll, I'll leave the things there. But let's go to more positive talking <laughs> than Allegri's Juventus side, uh, and let's just pick on like one team. I, I think I think we should look at one team that's impressed us, either surprised us or built on things that we already thought they would in interesting ways. So I'm gonna let you go first. I know you really are excited to talk about this. So, uh, you, you've you've picked Atalanta. Yeah, uh, Adamola Lukman's Atalanta, more specifically. They're they're just this kind of story that is not ending. Like every single season, you kind of expect them to fall away and back into where they probably, in quotation marks, should be. I mean, their stadium's only twenty one thousand seats. They have one of the smallest budgets in the league but Gasparini every year seems to f find a tune out of out of these these guys and 
and they have changed things. I mean, they've gone from from that famous trio of Papu Gomez, Zapata and Ilicic to now it's Lukman, a new guy on the block in Rasmus Hoyland. And Zapata's still there and so is Lewis Mural, but those two guys don't really see as much game time as they used to. And now there's the younger guys coming through like Scalvini. I don't think they'll make the top four and obviously that's where they peaked back in the COVID season. That's when they reached to. But I think the way they've adapted, the way they've gone from sort of Gosens at left wing back to now Myla, who offers them a whole different thing where he comes inside, whereas Gosens used to kind of sneak around the back. And then, as I mentioned, they picked up Lukman from... He was at Leicester, but I think that was on loan, wasn't it? So I think they signed him from Fulham. I think Lataro's just picked him to second place in this, the goal-scoring standings, but he scored 12 goals in Serie A this season. He carries that attack at times. Um, he kind of does everything. There was a game away at the at Juventus where he scored within the first few minutes... Juve then t- took the lead and Atalanta came back and it was because of him. He's sort of carrying that attack and should be mentioned that Rasmus Hoyland is one of the fastest players I've ever seen in my life and has like, he's like this mini Haaland and I know that's kind of stereotypical because they're Scandinavian, they kind of sound the same but they're just incredibly quick and they can just, I don't know how else better to put it but they can absolutely smack a football into that goal. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to a name that we've already mentioned, Mitsio Sarri's Lazio. I think they've really impressed me. I I begrudge giving Lazio props because I, I I'm traditionally more towards Roma, but I, I do like Mitsio Sarri. I think he his style of football is great. I I loved his Napoli side. I thought it was an absolutely great team that were unlucky not to win a title. But yeah, it's been a really interesting journey for Mitsio Sarri's Lazio. When he first came in, you kind of was like looking at that team and like, well, they don't know what they're doing. But it's slowly and surely instilled what he needs to put into this team. It's kind of looked more and more like a Sarri side. I think he's been helped by the fact that Chiro Mobile just bangs in goals no matter what happens. So it kind of, like, anything could happen behind him, but he'll still score. So it kind of just kind of kept it ticking over while he was trying to implement everything. They brought in the likes of Zaccadne, who's really good. I think Marcus Antonio has been really good and Real Magnolia on a free has been decent. They brought in uh, Maximiliano but he got a red card in the first game and then he just started playing Providell. So we were just <laughs> that was just such a weird transfer. It's like oh yeah he looks like a really good young goalkeeper. Didn't play like the first half of the season because of that one red card. But yeah I've I really I've really liked him and, and now looking at this part of the season they're doing all the things that you want from a Sarri side. They're, they're kind of Going through the motions, but then when they get in the final third, improvising, looking for space, looking for players who are making the runs. And I think uh, a really good bet for maybe getting top four. If, if, if there is a top four place up for grabs, if AC Milan drop off or if Roma don't continue this sort of form they're in, I think Lazio are kind of on the ascendancy to get into that point. And I think they've obviously got they've got the experienced players like Ciro Mobile. Uh, Roman Noli and obviously Milinkovic Savic to kind of support that, but they've also got these like talented kind of stars that will help support them on the way up. So yeah, I think I think Mauricio Sarri's Lazio is probably something we'll be talking a bit later on in the podcast. We might have a, an episode like where we just have a little chat about them. Uh, but I've been really impressed by them, and I've also just put on on here an honorable mention to Monza. I think Monza in eleventh. When you look at how everyone else is kind of struggling behind them. And how they, I think they've done the double over Juventus this season. Like Monza, Monza 11th. When you look at the transfer business, you're like, oh, that's quite an interesting transfer. 
But then there's also Pablo Mari, and you're like, what, what, what's going on here? Like, it was a bit of a mixed bag. I think they've done really well. They're kind of trotting along. Obviously, there's still a, a bit of the season to go. They could drop back, but I think they've given a really good account of themselves so far. I think that's fair. I think what well, there's an asterisk for Monza, whereas they have a bit more money than some of the clubs that have come up in recent years or like kind of sit around that, let's say, 16th to 11th place. They are very financially backed. <laughs> They're backed by, obviously, Berlusconi, who gives the players a few incentives here now and then. But they've got a, a fairly young manager who's doing some interesting things. And their business has been this weird mix of it seems kind of smart, but also kind of just all over the place at the same time. Piscina went there. Pitania went there. And these are, they're decent Serie A players. It'll be interesting to see how the Monza project kind of goes from this solid base. They're not going to go down at this point. They're probably going to finish somewhere in the mid-table. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting if they can kind of sort of creep up towards the Europa Conference League, Europa League places in the next few seasons to, because they do have money behind them. Now we're going to move on to a little bit of a dour note. We're going to go for the teams that have disappointed us. You stole mine. I didn't put it down in the dock, and then I, and then I came back to it, and I just saw it written there. I was like, God, damn, I can't take it back off him now because he's obviously going to have thought about it. Um, but it's the team that's disappointed us the most, and you've gone for Fiorentina, managed by the most Italian-sounding man in the world, Vincenzo Italiano. <laughs> Who is, funnily enough, born in Germany, and Domenico Tedesco is... German but Italian by birth and his name means German in Italian so <laughs> that's a fun fact but I really really like Vincenzo Italiano and I really really like a lot of Fiorentina's team they have exciting players they brought in Luka Jovic who has been hit or miss but they've just underperformed so much uh, if you look at expected goal difference they should be sitting around six or seventh i mean they're above teams like lazio in that sense but they just when you look at them it doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel like it's clicking um i i don't know how they're sitting in the, the bottom half of the table with the talent they have i thought at the start of the season they push for maybe a european place and they're in the european places Right now, I think they just beat Braga 4-0 away from home. So, make that make sense, because in the league, five days after, four days after, they're drawing with Empoli, who are their neighbours, who are a tiny little club compared to them, but are sitting above them in the league. I think it's just not clicking. Um, and maybe if you give Italiano time, it'll, it'll, it'll click and, and they'll start scoring. It feels very very Graham Pottery and they are creating chances they just don't score them ever and it's it's so frustrating well it seems like yeah it seems like they got a mixture of the most um, streaky I mean I think didn't they have Piatek for a bit they had uh, they've, they've had Cabral they had Vlahovic who was kind of their big one who was getting all the goals uh, and now they've got like Jovic and it's just like one of these all, they've all got these players who are like yeah they scored something at one time but they haven't scored in a while <laughs> Just like, oh, I haven't scored, like, big holes in a while. So it's a and bit it, of a weird lot. It doesn't seem to be getting better. I think, like, they've not won in their last five league games. Their top scorer sitting on four goals. Like, so, <laughs> this is a team that 
like should be challenging for the Europa League. Like that is where Fiorentina should be at as a club. They're one of Italy's most famous clubs. They've not really had massive success, but they always kind of seem to me like a Europa League level team, and it's this season it's just not going right for them. There's another team in there that we will probably touch on in a second, but and we both were kind of like deciding whether it's putting most disappointing. I've gone for Sampdoria for me. I, it's a team that I've always kind of been interested in. I really like the badge. Sampdoria, I've always thought the badge was cool. That was that was me when I was younger. I was like, that badge is cool. I like that team. Uh, and I also like Quagliella. But yeah, it's just kind of not been going right for Sampdoria for a few years now. They've just been kind of... They, they finished in ninth two years ago, and then they finished in 15th, and now, and now they're like kind of in the relegation places, and they don't look like they're getting out of the relegation places. I always expect them to be like, come on, Sampdoria, bounce back, keep that badge in the Serie um, Keep that badge in the Serie But it just, it just, there's just nothing going right for them at all. They're a team that's obviously had a bit of history. They've got a bit of, obviously, they had Quagliola, who's like one of the biggest, like, was one of the biggest Italian strikers for a, a good, like, long time. Um, and you just kind of look at the team now, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's really disjointed. There doesn't seem to be much direction. Like, they have Gabbiadini, they have Djuric, they have... Some, you have all these names. They, have, they brought Michael Cousins in from Venzia, and I'm like, that, that's not what you needed. I don't know where the goals come from. I don't know where the creativity comes from. I don't know who defends. It's just a, such a mishmash of things, and it's just kind of like, just, 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 just be better. That's what I took disappointing quite literally by the fact that I am very disappointed in where they are right now. They've always been like a associated with kind of like smart scouting and things like that and picking up people from kind of obscure markets. I mean, obviously Bruno Fernandes was there years ago. Um, recently, they sold Damsgaard. They bought him from Nordjylland and then sold him for a massive profit to Brentford. They had a, it's some exciting Scandinavians. They had uh, Torsby as well, who's now at Union Berlin. So like, but then they've had these massive owner issues where their owner was arrested for something completely unrelated to football. And then they've had these issues. It has felt like for a long time they've been on this downward spiral. And it's kind of sad because they're from Genoa, the city, and both of those teams are now probably going to be stuck in Serie B obscurity for a while. And it's been such a famous city for Italian football. So yeah, I think Sampdoria have always been a smart club but it's just not that anymore and and you watch their games and it's just it's just a mess it's dead there's Gabby Adini is a decent goal scorer but nobody's creating chances for him Um, Omar Colley who was a decent centre back and was getting I remember he was linked to Liverpool not too long ago a couple of seasons back he got sold in January I don't know where they go from here. I don't think they'll they're gonna survive. Um, so yeah, I think they've been very disappointing for a while. And and Serie B is not a league you want to go down into. It's very very complicated to get back up. Yeah, the, the, Gabby Dean is the top goal scorer with four goals, and then you just look at like but then you look at what the like we just mentioned. We said they sold Gamsdar, they sold Prari, they sold Forsby. They sold all of these players for fees, but they only seem to bring anyone in on loan or free transfers. And one of them was Harry Winks, which could have been a really smart signing given how some people talk about what his ability is and what his ability on the ball is. But he just kind of hasn't really worked out either in terms of the just... It's hard to explain it in words when it's just a mess. It's hard to say this is the problem when it's all the problem. 
So yeah, and they're 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 definitely in the relegation battle. They're on eleven points. The only team above them, uh, sorry, below them, the, there would be a lot of teams above them. There. The only team below them are Cremonese. They're just bad. Like, it's just it, it's one of those teams that they come up, they don't have a lot of money. It, it, it's the it's the classic. They're the one Serie B team who were just never gonna make it any any further. It's just like they obviously didn't have the money for it. They didn't have the the ideas, they didn't have the kind of things, they just kind of came up and they were like, well, we're probably going back down, but we're happy we came up. Yeah, they felt very Venezia without the nice kits. Um, they shop, they shopped a lot in from the Belgian league. Um, Okereke, uh, Jack Hendry, Scottish, but he came from Club Bruges. They've looked actually better in recent weeks, although they've it's the end of February and they still haven't won a football game. They were 15 minutes from winning a football game on Monday night against Torino and, and conceded. So And it, it's strange because they're obviously just out of their depth. But I don't feel like... They've drawn so many games. I don't feel like they're as bad as, as this, like, no wins. I've seen, like, Italian Derby County <laughs> shouts and things like that. I think they're maybe a bit better than that, but yeah, it's not... They're not good enough for the league, and and there's a, there is always one from Serie B, like you said, that you can just kind of see has got up because they're very experienced at what Serie B is, but it's very different to the jump up to Serie A. Yeah, the Benevento was that a couple of years ago where they just didn't win. Like they were just like you're like what what is what is going on? Like it just seemed like they were just being they were just the punching bag for strikers in every single matchup. So we look at we're gonna look at the rest of the the relegation battle now. Um, Verona are currently in the relegation spots on 17th. They obviously lost Giovanni Simeone, who was doing so well from last season. I think he was his goals were kind of covering over some of the cracks. The fact that he was outperforming the chances that he was being given, and so so on and so forth. And then there's kind of Spezia and uh, Salatana, who are both kind of hovering above there. Um, and then. The other team that I was going to say were disappointed in and are at risk of falling in if things don't start making up to. Uh, I mean, they've done better as of late. Is Sassuolo? I mean, Fiorentina are only one point above Sassuolo, and then Lecce, uh, Lecce, twenty-seven points. So it, it's it's very close in that sort of thing. There's ten points split in between thirteenth and eighteenth. It just seems like Verona, are kind of where they like, like as I said last season, Simeone scored a lot of goals for him from less chances than he should have done and it helped them stay in a really good position now they've lost that they're kind of falling down and it feels like that's how do they climb back out of that is the thing that i think they've won the last game they haven't actually lost in four they won then drew two then lost they're kind of actually of the 17 points eight have come in the last four games bezier above them have lost three of the last four uh have lost three of the last four but one one and then obviously as i said swallow have uh got eight points as well from their last four so who who's your who would you say of those four do you think is going to go down i think it'll likely be tough i think on verona i don't think it's so much simeone being the biggest miss i think it's the fact they lost igor tudor um who's now at marseille Um verona were always very like up and down between the two leagues but i think they went on kind of a hot streak with the managers they were getting so he um Juric was there who's now at torino um, and then Tudor was with Pirlo at Juventus, played for Juventus, kind of like a big name in Italian football. And they both set up in this like three-five-two, very functional team. 
and it really worked for Verona, like everyone bought into it. And if you look at Tudor now, he's sitting second in Ligue 1 with Marseille. If you look at Juric, um, Torino are, I think, eighth. Those are two very, very accomplished managers and now Verona don't have that. So they kind of cheated their way to having those two guys on the bounce. They, they don't have as much money as others around them. I think, yeah, striker's an issue. Kevin Lasagna's their striker right now who has never been the most accomplished. They, they had um, Antonio Barak, who's now at Fiorentina, who really helped them in the past few years. It's it's just not there's they don't have the parts, but I think they might get away with it because of Spezia, who, um, who just I don't really think have enough depth or, or and I just don't see them them staying up, even though they do have some interesting names in their team. Spezia obviously lost Kiwi over to Arsenal in January, which he was a big part of how they defended. And I think that's not going to help them at all, even though they've got, must be around 20 million euros, which is huge for a club as small as Spezia. If you've ever seen the Serie A like, game of theirs at home, it's a tiny little stadium. They're not a very big club, so that's huge, but it might mean they go down in the end. Yeah, I, I think obviously the option Sartana probably will survive once again. The great escapists, as they know, kind of if they do it twice in a row, after what they went through last season, I think they got that name after one season <laughs> in my head. I don't think Sassuolo or Fiorentina will go down. I think they're just they're just too good in terms of they they're too good to be in the relegation fight for Serie B. Um, and Lecce just I think an M player just a little bit too far ahead. Same with Monza. So I think it's just in a case of it will probably be one of Spezia and Verona. But as you said, I think Spezia, Vosco are they've just not really invested. The squad's just a bit too thin. Yeah, and I think that just about wraps everything up. I mean, obviously, there's some teams we haven't spoke about, Udinese, Torino. We'll probably touch on them uh, later in, in in these podcasts. But I hope you have enjoyed the first episode of a seriously good podcast. Yeah, that pun is going to stick around for as long as you want it to. But in general, I'm, I'm, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope we gave a good overview. I hope I didn't insult too many Italian fans by just saying their team was bad. I realised that about halfway through my statements, but... At the same time, I couldn't really say much else uh, on some of them. <laughs> but thank you for listening. Anything you want to say, Danny, before we tune off? No, it's, uh, it was good first episode. I hope we'll hopefully build from this to a few team-specific podcasts, player-specific podcasts, and maybe look at some historic things like Casey said at the start. But yeah, good good to get this underway, and, and hopefully the pronunciations weren't too bad. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's the big one. We'll work on those for next week, for sure. So again, thank you for tuning in. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll see you next time.